0: digital 410 productions proudly presents the what's the scuttlebutt podcast
1: with your host don abernathy hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the what's the scuttlebutt podcast your favorite world war ii based podcast and we're doing the rare redo the remake the update the making it good and it is ve day and we'll get to that momentarily. I was actually going to open up the show with something kind of cool, but I, I floundered and I effed up as we tend to do. But that's all right. We can play here in a second. Joining us from Florida, um, we actually did about 45 minutes, as we were promising on the last episode, uh, from the event in Dade City, Florida, at the Florida Pioneer Village. Forgive me, p- the people at the Florida Pioneer Village. I'm sorry. It was the first time there. Um, I really don't have any formal documentation, so I keep stumbling over the name of your facility. For that, I apologize. And for that, I apologize. I just burped, for those of you off-scene. I just came home from a uh, birthday party. My niece turned 21. But joining us from uh, Bradenton, Florida, Paul Nickham. Paul, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing all right, Don. How are you? I've been uh, doing all right. Uh, Just fighting back a little bit of uh, post-dinner burping there. Do you you know the exact name of the facility in which we had that spectacular event at a few weeks back? Uh, I think it's the Dade City Pioneer Village. I guess I have a Google machine in front of me. I guess if I was half, you know, somebody who produced a radio show for six years, it's a lot harder when you're hosting and trying to produce at the same time. But Dade City, Florida Pioneer. Yes, it's the Dade City, Florida Pioneer Museum. Uh, The Pioneer Florida Museum and Village is an open-air museum in Dade City, Florida, in Pasco County. The museum complex includes Overstreet House, a one-room schoolhouse, which is very cool, by the way, A church, a train depot, which you guys seen in the photos on the last episode at the WTSPWorldWar2.com, as well as our Facebook page. A train engine with a big-ass bell, mind you. A museum expedition of tools, household items, antiques, and farm equipment. And when we were there, they did have the very respected and loved um, blacksmiths, like, Mm -hmm. pounding out metal. They were doing their thing. They were doing their basically they're equivalent to living history but theirs is full action i mean they were had the kilns going the heaters the whole nine yards the forge they were banging and and making up stuff but uh paul and i we got together saturday night we got out the at computers wtsp podcast studio in a crate and we set up in a museum and um Well, with COVID and and the long time we took off with the year, the podcast studio in the crate took a little neglect and turns out two of our microphone, one of the two microphone cables had a short in it. So I was laying on the bottom of the hardwood floor in the Citrus Museum and we made it work. But as I was editing it last night, you know, I took out all the echoes, took out all the the hissing and the popping and I had it for what it is. Anybody listening to the show knows that remote recordings don't sound that great, but we make do. But apparently, I need to change out the laptop. And I saw it doing this while we were recording, but there wasn't much I could do about it. I saw the timeline would pause, and then all of a sudden fast-forward. And so I thought, it, I thought it recorded and kept up. But it turns out, Paul, when I was editing it, you would say a word, and then it's almost like someone was fast-forwarding to the third sentence down. And so it was really unsalvageable. And I can get past the audio deficiency, but... When I'm trying to talk to you and every third line of your sentence from your paragraph is missing, I was like, you know what? That's not fair to Paul. It's not fair to the audience. So here we are. Paul is joining us from his house. We are here. And it kind of fell into place because, as I said at the top of the show, today is, in fact, the anniversary of Victory in Europe Day. And so why don't we just take a brief moment to remember that.
2: Throughout the world, throngs of people hail the end of the war in Europe. It is five years and more since Hitler marched into Poland, years full of suffering and death and sacrifice. Now the war against Germany is won. A grateful nation gives thanks for victory. Hundreds of thousands crowd into American churches to give thanks to God. President Truman announced the official surrender.
3: This is a solemn but glorious hour. I wish that Franklin D. Roosevelt had lived to see this day. General Eisenhower informs me that the forces of Germany have surrendered to the United Nations. The flags of freedom fly all over Europe. For this victory, We join in offering our thanks to the Providence which has guided and sustained us through the dark days of adversity and into light. Much remains to be done. The victory won in the West must now be won in the East. The whole world must be cleansed of the evil from which half the world has been freed. United, the peace-loving nations have demonstrated in the West that their arms are stronger, by far, than the might of dictators or the tyranny of military cliques that once called us soft and weak. The power of our peoples to defend themselves against all enemies will be proved in the Pacific War as it was proved in Europe.
2: Historic pictures of the last days of the war in Europe show American and Russian troops as they joined at Torgau on the River Elbe, splitting German armies in two. United States General Reinhardt meets Red Army General Rusakoff, a meeting that spelled out certain German defeat. At Allied Mediterranean headquarters in Italy, the Germans unconditionally give up all of Italy and southern Austria. In civilian clothes, representatives of the German armies sign the surrender document. General W. D. Morgan, representing Supreme Mediterranean Commander Alexander, signs for the Allies. Preceding the final capitulation at Reims, this surrender eliminated a million German troops. Inside Germany itself, the Allies seize the famous stadium of Nuremberg, scene of countless Nazi party rallies. With the capture of this famous southern German city, the American flag blouts out the swastika.
1: And the cool thing is, at the end of that news clip, they show them blowing up the German eagle on top of that building. In a symbolic
2: gesture, American troops destroy the Nazi party emblem.
1: It's insane to think that Japan wouldn't surrender for four more months, and only after dropping two atomic bombs that they finally come to the realization that uh, it's a lost cause. And mm-hmm. it's—I um, have a book someone got me for Christmas one year. It's called "The Last." Um, I think it's called "The Last Ace." I'm trying to glance across the room. Or oh, the last fighter pilot. One of the two. I do apologize, but he was explaining in it that. Um, there's one more patrol that was sent out during the last days of the war before Japan surrendered. And his wingman was shot down and killed after the surrender and the signing. They didn't get the message. So they were sent out on one more raid and, uh, his wingman was shot down tragically for no reason. And, um, that particular wingman was like 17 or 18. To this day, holds wow. the title of the highest IQ of any pilot to ever fly in the American Armed Forces, and was also the grandfather of Scarlett Johansson. Wow. how crazy is that? Luckily, he had his children before he went off the war. But yeah, it's so sad to think that if they wouldn't have went on that mission, or if the radio traffic would have gotten to him, he would have he would have never perished that way. So I have this book here someone got me a few years ago. It's literally every news article published in the New York Times about World War II. It even goes to the end all the way up to 1947. And so we just played that little news article from the the movie houses for today, which was Victory in Europe Day. So there's no real reason to read the New York Times post. But interestingly enough, on the same newspaper on the same day, dateline May 8th, 1945, now, I'm going to ruin the name of this facility, which historically sucks, but realistically, I don't care because horrible things happen there. Auschwitz, um, O-S-W-I-E-C-I-M. It was a, a concentration camp in Poland. Um, we'll just say Auschwitz killings placed at 400,000. Soviet Commission reports death camp in Poland was founded by Himmler. Moscow, May 7th. More than 400,000 persons were systematically slaughtered in a single German concentration camp in Poland near uh, Krakow from 1939 to 1944. The Germans thus accomplished, with scientific efficiency, the greatest indecent—I'm sorry—the greatest incident of mass murder in record history. And it goes on to explain the atrocities. So, in that same newspaper, we're celebrating the fact that uh, the war is over. The day before the end of the war, the Russians find a concentration camp that had over 400,000 people that they wiped off the face of the earth. It's just, I don't know, it's crazy to think of the amount of death, destruction, and malice perpetrated by a group of people. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can say, well, it was primarily Hitler. Yes, a lot of it, it was orchestrated by him, but let's be honest. One man couldn't do that alone. He had to have a group of supporters who shared the same insane ideology. And thank yep. God on this day, only after that psychopath killed himself, that the Germans said, hey, um, okay, we're done. It's just a damn shame that they they failed At their attempt of uh, assassination on him at at his camp. Mm -hmm.
4: July 20th plot.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, real quick, just because... No, not real quick. We're going to rewind and go back because we want to cover the lost information that we did at our interview at the Florida Pioneer Museum, which was... Now, I was under the impression that was the first event to take place there... Of a World War II manner was, and I'm finding out now it was the second. Are you aware of this? Um, it actually it is that was the second,
4: uh, specific World War II event. Uh, we, uh, we did an event in December, November that was, um, a timeline, but, um, this past was the second pure just world war ii event
1: yeah because for those of you who watched the video me doing my savage anywhere where i pushed a uh, army jeep uh damn near a mile and a half joseph gibson the guy steering the jeep who owns the jeep said he was up there at that first event and i was i was like huh i thought we were at the first event so apparently we were at the second event but um it's cool i mean the more events up there the better And when it comes to World War II uh, um, reenacting new events, as we spoke about in the past, usually anytime someone launches a new event, people are hesitant to uh, pack up all their stuff and make the trip if it's not going to be worthwhile. And so a lot of guys will send one or two people from their group, if they have a large group. They'll kind of be like the patrol, check it out, and say, hey, this is a good event. Definitely let's come to the second or the third one. And so as these things continue to um, continue, they definitely continue to grow. And so it was mm-hmm. actually kind of nice to think that that was a second one, especially the second one in, in less than a year. So, I mean, that's great progress yeah. as far as the new event goes.
4: Oh yeah. Uh, <clears throat> the first event that took place was in January and that was really just trial run. Okay. Um, it was only a day event. There was probably six or seven GIs and about six or seven Germans. Um, the first SS came out for uh, the Germans and then us GIs. It's the usual group of us. Yeah, ragtag crew. Mm-hmm. And it went over without a hitch. So they approved for a full weekend. And that's uh, the one that uh, you and I
1: did. So that. The, the first one was kind of like a beta test to see what the interest in uh, basically kind of probationary so that the People running the museum would get an idea of what it would be like to have a full weekend dedicated to it. Yep. So let's get a little, a little bit of your history, Paul. How did you get into living history and World War II reenacting? What what is it that brought you here and fueled your your fire and lit your candle?
4: Well, um Sam Howell, his daughter, um, Hannah, her and I were in a class together and high school. And one day I was talking about something about history, like I normally do. And she was like, oh, yeah, you come out to um, this event in Parish, Von Kessinger's Express. I'm like, What's that? She like, oh, it's a World War II reenactment, yada, yada, yada. I went out there and I woke up the first morning and just the awe of, everything was 1940s world war 2 um being early november there was kind of a haze
1: now did you come out there as a spectator or were you a participant i was a participant my first year civilian i assume uh, cuz most people don't have uniforms just laying around i um
4: yeah the first year for saturday i was a civilian and then for sunday i was a partisan but we don't talk about that because
1: it was very um farby. Well, it always is. I always bust. Um he has, he hasn't been on his podcast I don't think ever he well, he's too shy. But I remember I remember Hunter when he first got started. Ooh. I was there on the ship uh the day that that fateful photo was taken for the Tampa Bay t- t- Tampa Bay Tribune where a little Hunter who is Ooh. now a well well one when I met him he was like up to my chest. He was so damn short. Now he's taller than I am. But uh, I think he had himself a little medic helmet, a Vietnam era blouse on, <laughs> and uh, he had the, the web belt and the haversack. But here he is trying to get into this hobby, and it's a hobby that everybody loves to prove how much they know by mm-hmm. showing <laughs> pointing out how bad someone's uniform is when it's on public display. And so here he is. He's probably maybe in eighth grade. I don't even think he's in high school yet. And he's on the cover of the newspaper and his farbiness is just shining as bright as the eye can see. <laughs> Mixed air uniform and he never lets that down. But, uh, yep, yeah, I've, I've actually known him since then. And um, the second time I went, he was there. His uniform had been corrected and he was there. I think I did that ship at least two or three times. Back when it was me, Ted, Mike Alvarez, uh, Eric Ryan, believe it or not. And Ben Schmoot before he lost the weight, so uh, yeah, that that goes back a while. That's that's when we got to walk through downtown. That's that's technically Ybor City, or is it Tampa? Um, it's downtown Tampa. It's Channel Side. Nothing like walking through downtown Tampa in full uniform with an M one Garin slung over your shoulder. No one says a word. <laughs> Just I mean, we walked we walked from the Marina afterwards all the way down to like three or four blocks of some history museum just to have lunch and we're in full uniform, rifle slung over our shoulder. Not a, Oh yeah. Well, I think part of the problem is people don't realize the uniforms we're wearing are 80 years old or from 80 mm-hmm. years ago. So they just assume we're active military and walk around downtown Tampa with rifles slung over our shoulders and no one said a damn word, not a one. Oh well, uh.
4: yeah. I, like, like I was telling you, um, when we were out, at the Pioneer Village Saturday or Friday morning. Uh, the battery on uh, the vehicle I was using went dead. So Chandler and myself, we went up to AutoZone. The guy looks us up and down.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Nothing said. I said, hey, I need a new ba- battery. He's like, okay, it's going to be about 80 bucks or 180
1: bucks." You try to give you a military discount?
4: No. <laughs> oh, he gave me the military oh. discount. i didn't even realize it until i looked at my receipt and he said something and i already paid and i'm walking out the door i'm like 160 that doesn't sound right and then i looked down like
1: yeah and then you promptly turned back and got your you refunded that discount so that you didn't feel bad for it yeah that's i i've seen i've seen people try to get i say no i'm not active just like when I first got into it, I would try to change and be in my uniform so that when I got to the event, I wasn't changing in the parking lot. But I I, I don't want to say I got tired of it because it's not the right word. I just became overtly aware of people's lack of knowledge on history and uniforms, mm-hmm. and I didn't like the feeling of all oh, the I'd be walking to the gas station to get a coffee or soda. Thanks for your service. And then I have to stop. No, I'm not in the service. I'm a roller II reenactor. I will take your thanks and pass it on. So now I just, I'll have the pants on the boots on. I'll just put on a a WTSP t-shirt. That way, when I'm stopping at places, I don't have to, you know, be concerned with. Technically, it's not stolen valor because. If I was pretend, if I was pretending to be this military person, wore this uniform, I'd be ninety two years old. But and we would look damn good. So, but yeah, but either way, just to avoid that whole thing, I just I don't even I just wear a T shirt until I get to the parking lot, and then I usually change. Or actually, now I usually change after I set up my camp. But uh, so your first event was VKE. You jumped in cannonball farb first on the second Mm day but uh you got bit by the bug huh yeah i got hooked and that's a good one to get started in especially down here in florida because um a big part of living history and i haven't talked about this for a while but you're kind of a salesman um you're to be a living historian in uniform doing not reenacting but actually doing a living history presentation is no different than being a salesman at um, an electronic convention or a you know If you work for a gun company and you're at the gun show and, you know, you have your table set up or you're an insurance salesman at some insurance convention in Vegas, you're basically set up in front of your booth. You're trying to get people's attention. You're trying to sell them on your product, which in this case is knowledge. And you're presenting your display and you're trying to, you're given a presentation, whether you like to think of it or not. And a lot of cats when who get into this, um, they don't have that social um, butterfly They don't have the, the comfort that comes with presenting a product to a group Mm -hmm. of strangers. And so VKE being your first event is a good one to start out because you can either be a prop in the background on the train or you can participate. But with that being Mm -hmm. said, um, there's only so much room for so many props on that train and Whenever we have new cats at the event, obviously they want to ride the train. There's only so much room, but you have to, the people who make the logistical calls, they kind of have to juggle their desire to make you happy with it being your first time and you being on the train versus there's only so many room for so many props. And I'd rather have a prop that wants to interact and play. That particular event is more theater than it is living history. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad thing because the public loves it. And the museum makes a lot of money. But once again, you're, I don't want to say you're acting, you're doing improv. There's a timeline. There's a story. It's up to you to interact with the audience and based off their interaction with you. Yes. And, and you maintain that story, that era, and it's an improv. And that's one of the reasons I love that event because Last year, I didn't get on the train because I, I let some other, other people go, but I have great photos from like the first two years where I'm like inspecting that one of the um, this gentleman was doing um, French citizen, so he was in aircraft garb, and he had a bag, and I have a photo on a, on the Southwest Florida World War II page of me inspecting the bag, which by the way he had he had this great documentation of V two rockets in there, so he was a, he was trying he was a scientist trying to sneak out, and there's. Speaking of Sam Howell, there's a great shot. Sam Howell's holding a gun. Art's looking over me, and I'm, like, digging through his bag. It's some black and white photos. It's a Don Dickey photo. It's a great shot. but we, I love that event because I love the acting part of it. I love the, yeah. the performance involved. But um, sometimes you're like, well, somebody else can go, and then you find out, well, that person just sat in the back the whole time. It's like, well, now you're, you're cutting down on the show. But back to the whole point of hand, because it's an act, because – you can either participate or not. It's a great way to get involved in the event because even if you know history, it's it's kind of like, and then we'll get to this shortly with what your new, one of your new roles is with the USO shows. But I just thought about it. It's kind of like someone doing open mic night for the first time. Yeah. They make. Come down to the uh, comedy club. They may have a desire to sign up for open mic night, but they're like, you know what? I'm going to sit around and see how this thing plays out. And so someone might come to their first living history event, might have the uniform, a small display, but they don't have their beats worked out. You know, they'll interact with the, the public and they'll talk about a few things, but it's more of a conversational tone answer question Whereas the Arts, the Megs, the Sams, the Troys, the John Bonnets of the world, the Jer- Jeremy Petrellas of the world, they have a presentation. Mm-hmm. And it's something they have said so many times that much like a comedian who's done the same set 50 times on his one tour, it, it becomes smoother flowing. Yeah. you know. And so a lot of times when somebody first gets involved, they'll answer a few questions like, oh, here's Sam. He knows a lot more than I do. Sam, can you answer these questions? And I did the same thing. I remember, you know, first couple events I went to, It was like, oh, here's Eric. He knows a lot more about this tank that we're standing in front of. I'm going to ask him. Later, I find out that Eric's fall, a but that's neither here. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I I, 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 you know, I'm not throwing him under the bus, but there it turns out there's a lot of things I heard that cat say that were completely nonsense, but I won't throw him under the bus on a podcast, but he's not in the hobby anymore anyhow, but anyhow. So after you did VKE and you decided to get involved in the hobby, was there a certain timeline, a certain thing? Because once again, everybody kind of builds their display around something they have, they have in their collection or something they know a lot about. Meg has been on the show before. She has her home front display. Um, you know, some guys have Thompsons. Some guys have medical tents. In this case of Jeremy Petrella and the boys from uh, Georgia, they have their... EE eight field phones. They got their full yep. telephone bank. They got their whole setup for the, you know the communications tent. So, what did you uh, build your little um, display around? Well, my first couple of years
4: of doing or being in the hobby, I was all over the place. Yeah, first started with airborne, and did that for about a year and a half, and then I was like, well, this is gonna kind of boring we're not really boring, just the functionality of doing the whole airborne aspect of it. It doesn't always work out. And Sam Howell was like, Hey, uh, we're starting the 41st armored infantry uh, regiment that works with Rabbi Rob. Mm -hmm. You want to join? I'm like, yeah, sure. So that's how I kind of started building an infantry impression. Sure. And when we weren't doing stuff with them, um, or it would always bring out its field desk and while they're doing their officer stuff, I would sit there and just write fake letters and um whatnot, and then it kind of blossomed from there doing the whole uh company clerk now that I'm doing uh or that i am filled into an or a, into an officer role doing um uh, having that as like a company office. You have a typewriter now,
1: correct? I've had a typewriter for years. I used to type my high school report
4: on a typewriter. But
1: is that that's an, you have an error correct typewriter though?
4: Uh my error correct one is broken. I'll pull that one out.
1: Um What model is that? The um the one you use for your display under the under the fly.
4: That one is a Royal uh Portable Quiet Deluxe
1: 1951. Okay. But I would imagine there probably wasn't a whole hell of a lot of design changes between the 1944 model and the 1950 model.
4: There really wasn't. The only big difference is the change in the keys. And um, they decided to start coloring. uh, They changed the colors of the typewriter paint. Sure. Instead of just being the flat black, black, they start doing uh, like the grays and the beige. They have a kind of a blue
1: tint to them as well. Mm-hmm. And so you quickly kind of move through the ranks. You've kind of become the Sam and Art go to guy for um, logistics and organization. Thus, mm-hmm. to the fact that last year, and we briefly talked about this on another podcast with the COVID-19 and the VKE, they were considering canceling it at first and they're like, well, we don't want to cancel it, but living historians are a fickle bunch and it's bad enough that we make you guys wear bracelets <laughs> under your uniforms. You, you know, you got guys shaving and in my case, dyeing their hair and even wearing the air correct underwear. Yes. I'm that guy. Um, but I'm going to make you wear this big fluorescent green orange bracelet or at least ask mm-hmm. you to, but I know she put it in your pocket, but, and so the idea of them walking around with face mask on a lot of guys are not going to show up. So what are we going to do? And Paul said, I got an idea because I'm glutton for a punishment. What did you do, Paul? How did you say VKE? Now, I'm sure other people are say he didn't personally save it, but I'm going to say it right here, right now. Paul, how did you personally save VKE during COVID-19? I decided uh, instead
4: of making the train just a basic general plane train, make it a hospital train with uh, patients with tuberculosis.
1: Yeah, because the storyline's been the same forever, which isn't bad, mm-hmm. but basically the storyline is you're on a, a German uh, German. I don't want to say German occupied, Let's just say German commandeered train in France, or you're in a mm-hmm. you're in a, you're in a passenger f- train in German occupied France, and so you show up to the train museum, and there is a or there used to be. I don't know if we had it uh, last year. A 15 foot Swatoga flag. And there's a guys walking around in German uniform, handing out passports and papers and this and that, and we're all out of the camp, so I really don't know what's going on because we're we're not there. And as so the public comes in, they load them on the train and. This train tracks probably five to seven miles long. So the train's actually in motion. And then we, the, you know, they get on the train. There's a quick skirmish between airborne midway through the train. gets the end of the track. The allies come. We have a skirmish. We take care of the train. Train goes all the way back. Meanwhile, we're doing the whole ad lib stuff, the improv stuff, the speeches, the, the acting out train gets all the way back to the station. We come out. Lo and behold, there's the Germans wanting their, their men back. When we have another big skirmish, we are the victors. The t- crowd goes wild. We issue them out. We back up, reload, get down of the park and bring in set two. We do two shows on Saturday, one on Sunday. But once again, Paul's like, well, let's just make it a hospital ship, not ship, but hospital train, a tuberculosis train. And that would justify everybody having to wear a face mask. And it worked out great. Yeah. Well, oh, uh, we had to do a change
4: change two lines and add like four yeah uh, oh matt de palma who's the german oh you're a coward from, uh, escaping with all these sick people oh how dare you call me a coward being that he's a pressure ass yeah. so, and,
1: and that's that and so let's fast forward to the last weekend uh two weekends ago now great event um we had a uh, Oh God, we had probably 20, 30 allies there. I would say at least on Saturday. Sundays are always slow and and less people, which you can't blame people, especially when they're driving four mm-hmm. hours or so. They got to go home and unpack and be ready to go to work on Monday, and that's just the that's just the way of the hobby. I mean, there's always thank God the diehards who stay there both days, and then there's people like Jeremy Petrella who drive down there on Thursday, stay the night, do the educational. Side, I guess you were there too, where school students, about 200 of them or so came out, and you guys did a little presentation for them. Yep. And then they stayed until Sunday. And that's when the sleep deprivation kicked in. You want to talk about realism. You want to talk about what it's like to be stateside troops waiting to be shipped out. Whether you're in boot camp, doing field marches sleeping by train tracks set up in your camp a short 40 yards from a double line dual traveling very active train track to the point at least once an hour minimum it's not the air horn ladies and gentlemen who's warning the cars a short three blocks away that have no uh traffic notifications that a train's coming no it's not the air horn it's the banshee that's right. The Banshees, these trains sound like they haven't had a lick of WD 40 or, it, or blaster or whatever lubricant you prefer on them in 30 years, metal on metals, nothing. It's the brakes. It's the screech. It's when you're laying in your tent on the ground. If you're me and not sleeping on a yoga mat, like some people and you're tossing and turning and your hip bones digging into the dirt. Cause you're down 40 pounds and you're laying on a wool blanket and you're tossing and turning And here comes the Banshees. Here comes the squeals from the train. It sounds like 300 Banshees are scratching 500 chalkboards in your tent. Sometimes once an hour. Sometimes twice an hour. You don't know. And when you go to bed at 9 o'clock because you're tired and you want to get some sleep. Because the night before you only had four hours of sleep. Because you had to get up early and drive. And you're getting up at 9 in the morning. That's 11 and a half hours, give or take. Of Banshees screaming in your tent. To the point where you, you, you're you digging in your uniform pocket and you're pulling out your earplugs and you're shoving them in your ears about 4 a.m. But it doesn't help. It lowers the squeal. But the vibration's still there. The air horn's still there. To the point that some of the guys who got there on Thursday by Saturday said, I'm going home for the night. I'll see you fools in the morning because I've only had four hours of sleep for the last two days. I got there Saturday. One night of that was enough how you, how Art, how Jeremy and company dealt with that Friday night. Actually, Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. Well, you didn't. You left Saturday night and came home back in the morning. If we have another event, we are setting up in the parking lot. I don't know where we're sleeping. Absolutely. We are getting as far away, 40 yards, and I'm not maybe 50 yards. I'm not even lying. I mean, if my right tricep wasn't hurt i bet i could hit that train track with an apple easily oh absolutely and it it just it was one of those it's and you guys actually somebody explained it to me when i got there like oh man there was one train that sounded like it was doing 100 mile an hour and there was one saturday night that it was painful i mean you literally felt like your head was going to explode and hey. That's how everybody traveled back in the 40s. It's authentic. Yes, it is. But still, <laughs> one would argue that they're probably traveling a hell of a lot slower and they maintained their wheels a little better. <laughs> I'm sure they weren't that god-awfully loud and screechy. But it it, it was something something I've never experienced, um, especially at an event. Uh, oh, it was miserable. It did add to the authenticity when you wake up and you've only had... After going to sleep, you, you went to sleep with the prospect of 11 or 12 hours, but you only got about four and a half crammed together. Getting up, putting on that, you know, going out and doing an event, all dragging ass, all tired. That, that part, sleep deprivation part, that's authentic, I guess. But, you know, I guess if that's the only complaint you have about a second time event, food was great. Um, the, attractions we talked about earlier, the train, the train museum, the one room schoolhouse with all the artifacts in it, the cool little general store made for great photos. I am so glad, um, while you were doing your USO show, which we'll get into momentarily, I, at the end of probably sometime last year, I finally found an Eisenhower jacket that fit me. And, um, I haven't had the opportunity to wear it to an event and I heard USO show. So I'm thinking like the Georgia event, um, was it Dade battlefield? Yep. When I hear USO show, I'm thinking after hours events, Ooh, brought my class a uniform, got my Eisenhower jacket, actually spent the evening the night before. So my patch on and this and that, And then I found out well, this USO show is actually going to be going on throughout the day to entice the crowd. Yada, yada, yada. And so Saturday, I, okay, that's cool. And Saturday night, they called for rain. So we're all buttoning down the hatches. They're calling for rain at three in the morning. We're all sleeping on a hill by the train track. So we wouldn't flood flooded out too bad. Thankfully, the rain didn't come until 10 a.m. the next morning. And so after it got done raining, right on the humidity, it was starting to pick up just floor to right. Um, sadly, it kept the crowd away a little early. The time, two o'clock rolled around. The time, we did the reenactment. They were there. But it made for a slow morning, which came beneficial to me. So even though it was hot, I went and took off my HBTs, pulled on my wool trousers, my uniform, and I walked up to the area. And you had just gotten off stage. and I asked you to take a few photos of me. So all the photos you guys seen on the page at the train station were shot by Paul here. And then kind of a cool interactive thing I did because I was stuck by myself with just my phone. I was asking random people. Um, I was in the general store. This lady came and said, Oh, can you take a, a photo for me? Oh, my husband's a wedding photographer. He'll, he'll give me grief. But she, next I know she's shooting for, okay, stand. <laughs> she a full blown wedding photographer. I took all the ones in the general store, except for the one with the long shot of the bar. I just set my camera up with a timer. And then there's one where I look like I'm buying candy. That one. I, there was like two girls, probably seven or eight years old. I was like, girls, come here, take a picture for me yeah sure and so they shot two of those and so i just put the filters on but i think it's kind of cool to have photos from an event shot by random people who were there to spectate and enjoy the show and so and i'm very i'm so glad i did that but more importantly when you're there and your second night in didn't get any sleep last night from the banshee piloted trains from doom and it's hot the idea of a wardrobe change and going from some nice cotton HPTs to wool trousers, wool button-up shirt, wool Eisenhower jacket, walk around in the Florida sun, it didn't sound appealing. I almost didn't do it. I'm so glad I forced myself to do it, and that's so important to do at an event. There's been so many events where you're just tired, like, okay, you guys go out, I'm going to sit here and drink the soda, smoke this Lucky Strike, and then Monday rolls around and you see all these cool photos that you're not in. You don't have any of them. And you kick yourself in the ass. So for the reenactors, the living historians out there, no matter how tired you are at that event, if there's a group of young, enthusiastic cats going out for a photo shoot, go with them. Because you're going to kick yourself in the ass that you didn't go. They're always fun. So. All All the little photo shoots we do. Speaking of the Georgia events, something happened about two events ago. That kind of changed the trajectory of your impression and your participation at Living History events. And that was, um, I don't know, it was the second one. It was the second annual Georgia event, the third annual, we didn't, because of COVID, we didn't do the USO show. Mm-hmm. So, year two out of the three, uh, first year and second year, uh, Jeremy Petrella will put on a great um, event where he would take old dialogue from Bob Hope skits and change some names of towns, etc. And then he would have actors coming out from the local college to participate in these USO shows. They would get extra credit for the college courses, one happy, and they'd have some seniors come out and they have a jazz band set up. Bob's uncle. Well, something happened. I don't know the logistics. Not important year two. They couldn't make it. Something came up. They were unable to make it. And now Jeremy's stuck in a pickle. Well, as um, luck may have it, Sam's the Utter Hannah is a pretty good singer. She can hold her own. And so we have some music and a track. And uh, somehow it was hoisted upon you (laughs) to step up and do... Abbott and Costello's who's on first where you play Abbott. I always get to uh, wrong. Costello. Costello. So you do the Costello part and it went so well that now this is like your third or fourth time doing it. Now you're doing it at other events that aren't Georgia related. This, well, my first, um, who's on
4: first, uh, uh, doing blue Costello was actually um, Dave Battlefield a couple years
1: ago? Okay, so it goes that far back.
4: It was that was the first time that I uh, performed it with I think Al Pratt. He's uh, I think he's a volunteer there. Um, what you're thinking of is at the date or um, the Lakeland event. Jeremy needed somebody to uh just make car noises basically. Okay. Or just needed basically he needed somebody uh else up on the stage and I'm sitting there minding my business joining the show and he goes, Oh, well there's this uh young corporal that is excellent at making car noises and earlier in the night he was joking, Oh yeah, I'm gonna call you up and you're gonna uh be a part of the show i'm like no you're not there's no way no well, i got caught up and i'm like okay what do you want to do i need you to make sound effects like what
1: car noises okay don't we're we're here to entertain the fine listeners of the what's the scope up I, I need to hear these car sounds i need to hear these sound effects so <laughs> i want to hear a 38 studebaker <laughs>
4: they're terrible
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay how about a model T? Oh,
4: I couldn't even do it
1: that. <laughs> so when you were up on stage in front of the crowd and he was having you make noises what how did that go over
4: it went over great because everybody knew that i was totally unprepared for it so i was just coming up with like noises just out of thin air mm-hmm. like, oh yeah and the, uh there's tire that uh Springs
1: league <laughs> <Bahoga>. backfire, <laughs> and so that progresses into you doing a little who's on first. Now this is a bit that it was very well known to me and the and the people of my generation, but some of the younger cats may not be familiar with it. Here is the original.
3: Dizzy
0: Dean Father and Daffy. Daffy Dean. I'm and her cousin. Who are you? Goofy. 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 <laughs> well, let's see. We have uh, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find and out. And then we, I say who's on first, uh, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. Yeah, you know the folks' that, names? Yes. Well, who's on first? Yes. I mean the fellow's name? Yes. I mean the guy playing first? Who? The fella playing first? Who? The first baseman? Who? The guy playing first? Who is on first? Well, what are you asking me for? I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. Who is on first? I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. Well, go ahead and tell me. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first base. Who? The fella playing first. Look. Who is on first? Have you got a first baseman? Yes. Who's playing there? Yes. <laughs> All I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base? No, wait a minute. No, wait a minute. Don't mix them up. What is on second? Who's on second? No, who's on first? I don't know. He's on third now. We're not talking about him. How did I get on third base? You just mentioned his name. If I mention the third baseman's name, who did I say is playing third? No, who's playing first? Never my first! I don't know. What's the guy's name on third base? What's on second? Who's on second? Who's on first? I don't
1: know. Third base. <laughs> And it goes on and on from there to the outfield, the infield, the shortstop. Everybody has a crazy name. And it holds up over time. And you're getting to the point now where at some point you're going to have to get to the point where you can put that paper down and just go off script and have it memorized. Have you thought about committing this to memory yet since it's starting to become a more and more um, reoccurring presentation for you? uh steve rake um who
4: does butt abbott him and i've talked about that about either the, the next time we do it or the time after that doing it right off of uh, memory
1: yeah and I'm, I'm not
4: comfortable for that yet i that was only the second time i did it uh
1: funny thing is i'm looking at you up here on the screen and you have a blue button-up shirt with pinstripes you, you still have a pencil mustache and I'm looking at him on the YouTube and this is actually a colorized video. And there's actually a bunch of World War uh servicemen. They may be in late they may have been forties, maybe late forties. I'm not sure when this was filmed. This was put up in twenty fifteen. But he has on a dark blue sweater with a light blue sport coat, no lie, with navy square pinstripes on it. Just a bigger version the the pattern's a little larger than the shirt you're wearing right now it's hilarious so i can definitely see there is a there's a bit of a lightness there when, when we did
4: the day battlefield news on first they actually had a uh, a movie poster mm-hmm. of bud abbott and luke and i was all in my getup. uh chris heesh i think was the one who pointed it out to me he goes holy crap you look almost like him yeah i'm like like, there's no way i look over and i'm like yeah
1: there is a resemblance there yeah the resemblance is definitely there that's that's great so you know i don't know it seems to me like maybe because it was due to this the covid stuff and all of us not getting as many events in as we did but it seems like the hobby itself at least in florida seems to be bouncing back a bit uh there's like three or four new faces at this last event mm-hmm. and um which you don't see a whole hell of a lot especially faces that young these cats are pretty young they're about your age but you've been around a while and so there's a group of some new guys and even a, uh one of his girlfriend who were there that um, i had never seen an event before and I don't know how many they have been in, if this is their first or second or third, but uh, it's nice to see, you know, the hobby growing. Yeah, I mean, for um, Brent
4: and them, uh, that was their third or fourth event, and they're actually a part of uh, 41st. That's how they got into the uh, the hobby somehow. They came to one of the events that... Uh, World War II Armor was at, and we were there, and, oh, how can I join? That's how Brent got into it. And then uh, Jordan, his friend, was like, oh, I want to do this, too. And VKE
1: was actually his first event. Gotcha. So, I mean, I and, you know, going to that event, it definitely re-sparked my candle a little bit. I was getting, you know, we didn't put out a whole hell of a lot of episodes during COVID just because, you know, there's there's a lot of history-based and World War II-based podcasts out there, and as Jeff and I were talking last week, I, unless somebody can prove me wrong, I take the mantle of being the first primarily uh, living history-based podcast out there. And so there's people who have production value and do this full time who are, you know, employees of museums and things like that who may provide more detail and more production value when it comes to the sharing of the the history of the of world war ii and all that and we mix that in and we tried it and that's part of the reason why we interview world war two reenactors because you know we all study this in our personal time but when you have a podcast that's primarily, it's and that's why i call it a world war ii based podcast because it's based around mm-hmm. world war ii and it's probably it's let's be honest it's unless i can find a, a a vet to interview it's a lot of living history and reenacting talk and i'm fine with that because that's what we are and so when you have a podcast that's strongly based around the the hobby and then you have a year like 2020 where there's no events to have except for two of them, it really just kind of blows your steam out of your sales. And so now that we got another event under our, our desk and we have, there's a living history event coming up in June. And then, you know, we always take the the horrible hot summers off here in Florida. Um, you know, the winter will be rolling around and we going full steam ahead, but I'm still trying to get some you know, they're getting harder and harder to find, but I'm trying to get some veterans. I actually saw TikTok tonight. There was a lady talking about how she was a child survivor of a concentration camp, and then she started going on talking about how the Germans required people to show their papers and trying to make some sort of cult connection between this and the COVID passports, but that's in here or there, but I was wanting to reach out to see if I can set up an interview with her because here's a woman who was a child living in a concentration camp. So I'm still reaching out, trying to find people who were there during the time to get some more interviews done. But um, we're trucking along. We got Jeff coming on every once in a while. And um, the reason he's not here tonight is, once again, this was a makeup for the interview we did at the museum. And uh, I'm just happy to see things are coming along and uh, the hobby's picking back up. Not to get too much into politics, but, you know, if you're a living historian, politics always come up at events. I hope, at least here in Florida, that uh, DeSantis makes us a two-way sanctuary state mm-hmm. because if he doesn't and President Biden gets his way, well, let's be honest, the people pulling his strings in the background gets his, their way. Part of this new assault rifle ban is going to kill our hobby. Um, we yep. will actually have to fill out federal paperwork to be granted permission to display our historical weapons. Yep. So it's not like, Oh, I just won't, you know, Oh, I just won't register. Or not go to the gun range. No, no, no. <laughs> we take these things out to state ran parks. <laughs> Sometimes at government ran air shows on government property. So it's not like it's an option for us. If this were to come to fruition, just not to file the paperwork and hope no one notices when you're set up at an air show. <laughs> on federal yeah. property. It's not really an option. So, but if we're becoming sanctuary state or more importantly, if the damn thing just flops and no one passes it, then we'll not have to worry about it. So it's more than just assault rifles. It affects the M1 Garands, and 1903s, all that stuff. So if that goes through, I could have a huge, un- we're going to be like Europe. We're all going to be walking around our denics. Which, by the way, if you live in Canada, did you hear about that nonsense? The new Canada assault weapons-like, not assault weapon band, assault weapon-like band, you can't even have an airsoft gun that looks like an AR-15 in Canada now.
4: They've actually
1: gone after airsoft and anything that even resembles an AR-15 is now illegal up there. So the airsoft community just took a huge hit. Not not only the guns, but I mean, if you can't go out carrying a rifle that looks like an m sixteen or a r fifteen these cats aren't gonna be buying fake carrier plates. they're not gonna be finding fake camouflage they're not gonna be buying the fake um, you know modern day helmets off a of wish to get their uniform right it's that's a big hit for a lot of industries just because they can't have the the gun, and so it just goes to show you that. When things are that crazy, could you imagine that? Where you couldn't even have a denix? That oh well, you can't have that denix. It looks like you know. Imagine if you're a Vietnam, if you're a Canadian Vietnam uh, living historian, which may sound weird to some of the older cats listening to this podcast. But that's a thing now. Not only are people doing Vietnam, there's people kind of talking about doing you know Operation Desert Storm just because their dad may have served during that time or their uncle. And that's how a lot of this hobby is. A lot of this hobby, people get involved because someone in their family participated in that particular era. Me, my grandfather, was in the war. There's plenty of people whose grandfather was in Vietnam. There's people whose father was in Operation Desert Storm. And so, like, if you're in Canada, like, you know, now you can't have a freaking Denix or anything that looks like an M-16. Well, there goes your Vietnam impression. So it's just crazy. So we'll hope that hopefully that doesn't interfere with what we're doing because you and I are living it ever since the Paul Night, and we've brought this up and I don't want to beat people to the head, but the whole thing with the no live firing on Florida state owned parks. Okay. Well, that's great. If you're a Spanish American war, revolutionary war, civil war reenactor, world war one, world war two, Vietnam. Sorry. You guys can set up a static display, which is fine for us, but we know when there's no boom, boom, it's a smaller audience. Yep. We're in a, uh, we're in a multimedia world. People like the sound effects, people like the, uh, the display, the battle reenactment or even the, gu- even the, uh, you know, the timeline of the guns where we get up there and explain what an M1 Garand is. A 1903 Springfield, a Mauser a you know, a car 98 squeeze off three or four rounds. People like to see that. They like the weapons demo. And when you can't even yeah, do that, they don't want to show up. I mean, even if it's a weapons demo, I mean that. Like, yep.
4: Like, yeah. Battle. Like, okay. Like that's a, their excuse. Oh, it's a safety hazard. Yeah. But we you can't do a weapons demo and if I can't do a weapons demo, I mean, a weapons demo, at least you have some draw with it with, with the boom, boom. But, I
1: try that. I try to give them the benefit of the doubt. I've never heard the official reason why. Um, so my devil's advocate side, the side of me that wants to believe that there's not anything malicious, which I'm sure there may be. I think maybe they're doing it as a personnel manpower saving device. And what I mean by that is you have a bunch of reenactors come out to the park have a weapons demo reenactment three or four days go by Karen's out there walking her dog and she sees a bunch of gun casings laying around calls up the cops. There must've been a gang fight here. Cops got to come out, investigate, realize all these are blank grounds. There was a world war II reenactment here two weeks ago. Not a big deal, but now you just had three cops taken off the beat for an hour and a half. Maybe that's it. That would make sense to me. Opposed to any other reason they could possibly have because none of this happened until the pulse night shoot nightclub shooting. Oh, and it was even after that. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It happened after that. So yeah. that, that was the catalyst that, that kind of forced the hand. So I don't know. I mean, I've heard some rumors. I mean, there are
4: rumors, but I, the rumors that I've heard it is it was reenactor based. Okay. there was something that happened with the reenactor that, it's something that he should not have done. So that caused of, a statewide blackout. Wow. Uh, when you're in front of a massive crowd and you're right there.
1: No. Oh, okay. Recording. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I
4: can, I can text you who after this, but I'm not going
1: to. I have some suspicions, but yeah, this will be, this will be good off the air info. And I have some good off-the-air info for you. Let me just say um, the phrase, those who go woke go broke. um, That applies in the history uh, community, too. But uh, that'll be another discussion for another time. Um, Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us for another episode of the What's the Scalbutt podcast, uh, your favorite World War II podcast. Jeff will be back with us for another episode on behalf of Paul and Nickam. And Paul, if people want to find you or are you available? Do you have a public page? Are you on Instagram? Or do you use all private for your friends only? Do you care if weird strangers come track you down? Uh, it's fine
4: if they come track me down. Uh my Insta is Paul underscore Nick N-I-C-C. Um yeah that's all I got is an Instagram.
1: And as always you can find more information as well as links to uh, the people who we do interviews with at WTSPWorldWar2.com. And real quick, I mentioned this on my other podcast, um, the What's in Your Head podcast. Um, The the pendulum's kind of swinging back the other way when it comes to technology. For you young cats who don't know a world without Facebook and MySpace, back in the day, you would actually go to people's websites and you'd put their website in your favorite, so you would go to it oftentimes. But now most people just go to Facebook and then click on the links that Facebook posts. But in the case of people who have public persona profiles such as the what's in your head podcast or what's the scuttlebutt podcast my d train public personality page from when i worked in radio facebook sees those as doors to potentially making money and so unlike you who can share a meme or share a uh, upload something that may be like a picture from star wars we can't do that because that's all copyrighted content. So they think that's us trying to make money off somebody else's stuff, which is fine. But it gets to the point where if I post, let's just say um, my D Train page, I have 1,500 followers. I post a link to the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast page on YouTube. Out of those 1,500 followers, YouTube, uh, Facebook will say, Hey, 35 people have seen this. Give us $10, and we'll make sure 200 more. So I got to pay you for 200 people, even though I have 1,500 followers? Now, if I only have one Facebook page, we can make that work. I have D-Train, What's the Scuttlebutt Podcast, The Fail to Fail Podcast, The What's in Your Head Podcast, Southwest Florida World War II, OCR, Uh, At Computers, (laughs) and then same rule applies to Instagram, which is why I personally think So you know how the cancel culture comes from Twitter, most of it? Mm -hmm. Now, here's a fun social experiment. How many people do you know who use Twitter that aren't a politician, aren't in Hollywood, or a musician? How many people in your daily life that are civilians use Twitter? Not a
4: lot. I'm not even on Twitter.
1: That's because Twitter is is a – shit show yeah but the reason the reason the media props up twitter is so they can get their message out for free see twitter doesn't charge them they know facebook charges them and they don't get the views on facebook or instagram that's mm -hmm. why whenever you see a celebrity a politician an athlete on tv they always put up the twitter handle because they can comment say what they want and it gets sent out there At no cost to them. And so in order to get the message out, if you're a medium, you got to basically convince the world that Twitter is this big, great place for communication, which it's not. It's where all the cancel culture comes from. But I digress. My whole point of all I'm saying to this is the pendulum's starting to swing back. So when I say head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com, head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com because if you're relying strictly on Facebook to be notified when we put out new episodes, you ain't never going to know. Because Facebook, well, unless you're the 32 people that they choose to share my post with, you're not going to know unless I start handing out money left and right to make you know. So if you go to WTSP World War II once a week and see the no show, or if you subscribe through a podcast channel like iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Music, you'll be notified whenever a new episode comes out. But if you're strictly relying on Instagram or Facebook, chances are you're not going to know. And so, and, and, and a lot more people are going that way. Truthfully, that's why I'm on TikTok. I got, I'm almost up to 8,000 followers right now. I got a video where I'm talking about the 99 cent price point on Arizona iced tea that has 65,000 views on it, and it didn't cost me <laughs> a dime. So, if you want to know why I spend all my time on TikTok, because people actually see my content, and it doesn't cost me a dime, and that in Facebook, let's be honest, Facebook's and Twitter censoring the hell out of everybody anyhow. And so the fact that all the censorship's going on, the fact that they're kind of pushing people away, my whole point is r- rely less on Facebook and Instagram letting you know what's going on in the world and start finding websites, add them to your favorites, and check them out once a week because that's where all, a lot of the content's going to be found. So now that that diatribe's over, Paul, thank you so much for hanging out with us, and thank you thank guys you. for joining us for another episode of the What's the Scull Up podcast. We will talk to you all soon, and I'm just pulling up my audio board here so I can kick off the theme song, and here we go.